Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Some of us eat yogurt every day, but how many of you really know what yogurt is? Well, yogurt is a fermented food and was actually naturally discovered as early as 6000 BC. Basically, milk would begin to go bad, but the lactic acid produced during the fermentation process helped preserve it and so it was eaten and enjoyed. Now, when bacteria is added to milk and reaches the right temperature, that bacteria converts lactose or milk sugar into lactic acid. This is what thickens the milk and that's what gives it that tangy flavor. And if you're already a fan, then you must try Yo Valley's super thick and natural yogurt. This one is high in protein, low in sugar, and it's also available in 5% and 0% fat. So to find out more, head over to yovalley.co.uk and find it in your local supermarket. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'm so lucky to be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with the trusted expert advice. For all too many, food is around them every day as if it's watching and testing them. Some may compulsively eat subtly throughout the day, either making meals twice as large as they should be or just eating continuously, all of this whilst going unnoticed by those closest to them. This week's Food for Thought sees registered dietitian Maeve Hanan and I explore the truth about the compulsive eater and the steps it takes to building a healthier relationship with food. Hello, Maeve. Hi, Rhiannon. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, such such a pleasure. I think in such a, with such a serious topic, I couldn't think of anyone better and more experienced to discuss it than than yourself. And starting with um, something I think a lot of people experience is that a lot of people will hear the phrase, well, just stop overeating. You know, if, if you think you're fat, which is what people tend to say, and they say it's so blasé, just stop overeating. Do, do you find that kind of behavior or that kind of language helpful? Or do you think it can hinder people? So that sort of language would be extremely triggering for most people. Because if we think about, you know, the topic we're talking about and eating past the point of being comfortably full, it's often a coping mechanism for difficult emotions. So if you already feel shame about your body size or your eating habits, and if you then have someone externally sort of reflect that back at you and saying something like that, that would be really unhelpful and it could actually make things worse. Yes, no, um, I completely, completely agree. And I think we've almost got a problem in society that stemmed perhaps from generations to generations 
where that type of language is commonly used. It can be in family settings, environments, uh, in the workplace, and it's almost laughed off or, or brushed aside, but it can really impact someone, can't it? They can go home with that or have it on their mind for a very long time. Absolutely. And sometimes it can even be less extreme than that. It can even be, you know, people thinking that they are being helpful and saying, oh, you know, you've lost weight, you're looking really well, or, um, you know, are you actually sure you want to eat more? You know, how can you still be hungry? So these kind of little small comments can actually really affect people. And, you know, hopefully things are starting to change. But, you know, we really don't want to be commenting on other people's appearance and other people's food intake, because we just don't know their full story. That's exactly it. You don't know the full story. And I feel almost like um, social media is one of those realms where you don't know the full story. You'll never know. It's just a snapshot of somebody's life. And it's very easy for people to make judgments. And we often say, you know, everybody is unique. But with everybody watching one another, do you find that you see a rise as well with more unhealthy relationships with food than ever before? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the figures are something like um, incidence of binge eating has tripled over the past 20 years. Um, and it is something absolutely that I see in terms of the clients that I work with. And social media use is actually, you know, that's that can often be something important to address. So some people actually need to really take a step back, take a break from social media. Sometimes it's limiting time on social media. And sometimes it's cleaning up your feed. So if there are certain people you follow, if you find it triggering in terms of, um, you know, pictures of body images or of, you know, foods that, you know, would seem to be um, demonizing food. So maybe it's, you know, kind of fatty diets and things like that really need to get rid of those accounts from your feed because, you know, constantly looking at that, it can just be so triggering. Oh, completely. You get it. You end up getting stuck in um, a lot of my clients describe it as a kind of whirlpool where once they're on, they start scrolling and scrolling. And before they know it, they've engaged in a behavior that's almost well, self-harm, if you look at it that way, because we are all completely and utterly unique. But of course, there are common factors that can cause binge eating, aren't there? Yes, absolutely. Um, so one really common one would be food restriction and having strict food rules because the consequence of that is so you can be really physically hungry if you're restricting your food intake too much and then also psychologically deprived so if you're not letting yourself have certain foods that you really enjoy then you know you can really crave those foods and you know it's almost like it, it kind of puts that food on a pedestal it kind of if you feel that oh you know i shouldn't have that i'm bad if i have that um, whereas when you start to neutralize food and even your language around food, where we don't call any foods good or bad, you know, everything is just food and they all have a place within a balanced diet, it can really start to level the playing field. Um, but really, I've uh, been in that place of being very restrictive and, um, you know, really restricting foods. That can be a very common trigger. Another one would be um, body image issues. So placing a lot of emphasis or a lot of importance on your weight or your appearance or feeling that your worth is tied up in what you weigh or how you look. And probably the third most common factor then would be around issues with mood. Um, so if you're having strong emotions that you're finding difficult to deal with, for many people, food is a coping strategy that they go to. Oh, completely. And 
I think more than ever in a pandemic, obviously we're recording this remotely uh, during the coronavirus outbreak, but these things often come to light for people that perhaps didn't realize that they they turned to food before. Because it can be, I always say this to my clients, it can be a very useful coping strategy until it becomes unuseful. So occasionally using food isn't the end of the world. It's actually, I remember one of my um, lecturers saying, it's actually quite clever that we've been able to use a resource we've got so abundantly in the Western world to help soothe. However, when it becomes unhelpful, which is when it becomes a habit, I suppose, to do that, then it can be very damaging. Absolutely. And I think that's a really important point because, again, you know, this type of eating can be surrounded by so much shame and guilt. And it's so important to make it clear that actually using food as a way of soothing our emotions, it's a completely normal response. You know, it's a it's it's a normal reaction that our body has. And it only really becomes a problem when it becomes out of control on a regular basis or very distressing. Um, so we, we shouldn't feel guilty for turning to food. It's just that it may not always be the most helpful response for those emotions. Oh, completely. Because there's a lot of things that people don't think about. And I guess as a, as a dietitian yourself, you will know that the impact that's of certain foods that we eat perhaps in abundance at a certain time period or within a time period can have a huge impact on our mood firstly. And it can send us to eating perhaps more or less. So the choices we make are so important. But I guess at the moment, I mean, I'm seeing it left, right and center. You must be too. I'm seeing so many phrases on social media, on the TV, on the news, oh, the corona diet, oh, the pounds you're piling on, you should be out running. I mean, the pressure from society is big, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's it's so frustrating to be seeing all of these really unhelpful messages and, you know, kind of like jokey memes about weight gain during lockdown and during the pandemic, when people have been really struggling with this massive change that we've had and, um, you know, emotions and stress levels are absolutely heightened. Um, so yeah, it's really frustrating to see those messages and having, again, that's where, you know, cleaning up the, your social media feed and, you know, the, the mainstream media that you consume as well can be really helpful because if you can really take a step away from that, um, it's, it just gives you more space and you're just less likely to be triggered by some of those messages. It really does. If you think about the amount of space, I like that, the way of looking at that, the space we have in our heads each day. There is so much that is going on in one thought process. If we were to write down everything we think about in a minute even, it would be a hell of a lot of different things. It's it's really remarkable. And if you think about the amount of space that that's, that's diverting away from other things that you would perhaps want to be focusing on, it, it's so unhelpful. How do you, how do you think people can overcome a certain preference to certain types of foods so I, mean, I hear a lot in the clinic that the binge foods that I go to are often always the same do you want to divulge on that a little bit more yeah um so I guess it kind of goes back to you know it's quite individual in terms of what are the underlying causes and when you get to those underlying causes then it can it can reduce the the cravings to binge in the first place. Um, so sometimes the focus doesn't need to be too much on the foods themselves. That can often sort of balance itself out. That's where nutrition support alongside psychological support is really important. Um, but also, you know, nourishing your body and taking food off that pedestal. So reducing food fear. They're two really important points when it comes to 
um, nutrition choices if so particularly if it's if it's binge eating disorder so you know that's a recognized eating disorder um, and even if somebody has issues of binge eating that doesn't quite meet the criteria for that so that would be having an episode of binging at least once a week for six months um, it can still it can be so um, distressing and it can you can have such an impact on somebody's life. Um, so really, I guess if we take it back to, you know, what would be some of the food principles to think about? Um, eating regular meals, regular snacks. So really eating every two to three hours and making sure that your meals are nourishing and they're balanced, they're satisfying. Um, and then trying to gradually work through um, some of the food fears. So it can often be useful to rate food fears. So you can do it on like a traffic light scale or you can do it on a scale of zero to 10. Um, so it might be that somebody finds, you know, chocolate or donuts um, to be a common trigger food. So that might be higher up on their scale, but they might have something lower down the list. So maybe like bread. And if we can start to reduce the fear around bread, for example, um, then we can gradually start to reintroduce that food, reintroduce other foods that are restrictive. And then it can it can start to balance the playing field. Yeah, I, I love that the traffic light's something we use in the nutrition clinic, um, rating, you know, foods in red that are fair foods and green that are safe foods. And it, it's so interesting because this takes a long time. I mean, our eating disorder dietitian, Talia, she is, we, we're just inundated at the moment because of this current situation. We're finding that so many people need support that's not out there. And the problem with support is that it doesn't happen overnight, does it? Yeah, that's it. And, you know, a lot of these thoughts and feelings and habits around food, they can be really deeply ingrained. Um, and it's important to remember that, that when we're starting to make changes, it doesn't happen overnight. But if you look at the big picture, so if you go from, you know, binging a few times a day to binging once a day, you know, that's a massive improvement. Or if it's, you know, every day to a few times a week. Um, so, yeah, it's really important to to look at it from that point of view as well. And, to just remember that you know it's not a sprint it's a marathon oh yeah and and the thing you mentioned earlier about um not being very restrictive because research does suggest if you have everything in moderation I know it sounds really boring and I probably say it on every episode of my podcast but if you do have everything in moderation you are less likely to feel inclined to overeat on a certain food group anyway wouldn't you agree with that one Absolutely. It's something I'm constantly repeating myself as well. Um, and it is, it's, it goes back to that moderation approach. So it's, you know, a little bit of everything is a satisfying way of eating and it's a really nourishing way of eating. Oh, completely. Because if, if we look at eating disorders on a whole, you, you mentioned earlier about there not being one specific type of category. So binge eating disorder is recognized, but there are so many other things that could be on the spectrum that someone listening may have there isn't a recognized eating disorder because it does stem across such a wide variety of characteristics, doesn't it? It's not just one thing. Exactly. And actually, the most common type of eating disorder is in that category where it doesn't fit into anorexia, bulimia or binge eating disorder or ARFID. So they would be, you know, four of the common eating disorders. But actually, 50 percent of eating disorders don't neatly fit within those criteria. 50 percent. See, that, that's a huge statistic I mean looking at that it's it really is key like you said to have the psychology and nutrition working together because only on 
unless you know why. If you don't know why we're behaving in a certain way, how on earth can we really look at treating it? Absolutely. It's, it's so fundamental. And, you know, our emotions and our food intake are so closely linked. Um, so it is, it's, it's really important because for a lot of people, that's the root cause of binging or of eating past the point of comfortable fullness. Yeah, and it can be a very uncomfortable journey. Um, I mean, what do many people feel and experience when they binge? So again, this obviously varies between individuals, but what a lot of my clients have told me is that during the binge itself, there can be a sense of relief or even elation in some cases. And following the binge, it's those very strong feelings of guilt and shame and distress. And I mean, that's the kind of pattern that a lot of my clients tell me about. Yeah, it, it, and they're not nice emotions to deal and sit with by yourself. I think a lot of us have almost normalized binging. So it becomes something where we do become ashamed um, and then people are less likely to ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's another big problem that about more than 75% of people with disordered eating don't seek support. Um, and that's actually people who have kind of a diagnosed eating disorder. So, you know, the number is likely to be much higher for people who have some issues with binging. Um, and it is, it's so important to seek that support because it can be really difficult to navigate this by yourself. Um, you know, we're talking about those difficult, strong emotions and how it can become such a ritual. Yeah, very ritualistic. It's um, it's interesting, again, when you use that word ritual, because I think a lot of people, it becomes so ingrained, it becomes, becomes such an almost second part of themselves that they find it very difficult to imagine that a life is possible without a disordered relationship with food. Absolutely. And I mean, part of that is you know, if this has been somebody's coping strategy for a long time, there can often be a type of kind of grieving process related to that. So, you know, if we're taking away one coping mechanism, we have to make sure that there are other ways of coping that we're bringing in. So, you know, that's going to differ between individuals, but that's really where the psychological support is key. And um, so somebody feels that they have the equipment and the support to get through some of those difficult times. And also the qualified psychological and nutritional support. And this is something that I think needs to be raised because the internet is full of self-help books, miracle solutions, coaches, people without real qualifications saying a lot of anecdotal stories. Well, anecdotal stories, of course, can be very useful. And it's so inspiring to hear people that have obviously overcome something themselves. But that doesn't always make them equipped, does it, to be the one to help to help you? No, and I think that is really important that you're getting support from somebody who has training and experience in this area. Um, and you're right, it's, it's all too common that we see, you know, maybe a certain celebrity or, you know, even hear stories from friends or neighbors um, with nutrition in general. So about certain types of diets or ways of eating um, and that can really impact people. So when we're talking about binge eating, you know, another kind of unhelpful response is, you know, people might be, oh, well, you know, you seem like you want to get healthier. Why don't you try this diet? This works for this person. Um, and that can be the last thing that that person needs, because a lot of the time, as we've been talking about, you know, we need to get rid of strict food rules and uh, move away from, you know, checking body weight and focusing on body weight so much. 
Um, so, so it is really important to get that qualified support. A hundred percent. One thing that will always um, stay with me and I, I hope to do with my son and in the future, if I have more children or if I don't or anybody really is never mentioning or commenting on shape or size, like you said earlier, it's it just encouraging positive relationships with food from the get go. So I guess for people listening then, Maeve, how, how can you help recognize? So how can someone know if they have binge eating disorder? Because people may not be aware of it. Yeah, really good question. So uh, it might be helpful if I kind of explain in a bit more detail. So kind of what a binge is, because mm. a lot of the time, you know, we use the word binge kind of flippantly. It's like, oh, you know, I binged earlier. I had a binge last night. And when, when you actually dig into that and it's like, OK, well, you know, what were the foods? What were the amounts? Sometimes it's literally, you know, somebody just had a slightly bigger meal than usual. So it may not be classified as a binge. And that can be helpful in terms of, um, you know, to make sure that we're not, we're not being really hard on ourselves and being like, oh, you know, I'm terrible, I'm binging, you know, to first identify, you know, is this actually binge eating that's happening? And if it is happening, then, you know, what's the best support that that person can get? Um, so in terms of a binge itself, so what the guidelines say is that a binge eating episode is when we have three of these five behaviors happening. So the first one being eating more quickly than usual. The second one being eating to the point of uncomfortable fullness or eating a large amount when not physically hungry. Another one being eating alone due to embarrassment or shame and then feeling very depressed or guilty after eating. So if three of those things are happening at the same time, that's kind of what we consider to be a binge. But again, even if not all of those three things are happening, but somebody just feels kind of distressed and out of control with their food, um, then that's really where, you know, seeking support can be really helpful. And um, so that's really, I guess, kind of what we're talking about, what a binge is. And then as I mentioned for binge eating disorder, um, it's when that type of binge episode is happening at least once a week for six months. And then where it differs from bulimia nervosa, for example, is that purging behavior doesn't happen so um, things like vomiting using laxatives or over exercise as a form of purging doesn't happen with binge eating disorder it's quite important to mention that actually because a lot of people they hear purging and they just assume we're talking about um, vomiting rather than actually like you said exercising because that's also a form of self-punishment yes absolutely and these things can cross over so is it possible for somebody to have um to have a diagnosis of binge eating disorder do they go to their doctor to get that and would they also have that and another another type of eating disorder at the same time yes I mean there can be you know as we were saying most people don't fit neatly into boxes and specific diagnosis um so it could be that somebody has those type of binges but maybe it doesn't happen to that frequency so maybe it's not once a week or maybe yeah there is some crossover in terms of um, you know, maybe sometimes purging happens, but not all the time. So yeah, there can definitely be elements. Um, and then other factors, so like severe restriction that we see in um, anorexia nervosa, for example, you know, that can also at times be present with binge eating disorder. But binge eating disorder, it's more commonly related to um, those episodes of binging and then restriction. So it's that binge eating cycle where somebody um, is really restricting their food intake and then feeling both physically hungry and deprived, which can then really lead to strong cravings and then overeating or binging, 
those difficult emotions, feeling really guilty, shameful, or out of control. And that's kind of where the risk of purging can come in. And, you know, generally with binge eating disorder, the purging doesn't happen, but the food restriction often does happen and it just restarts that whole cycle. It is a cycle, yeah, because you're going around in a vicious circle and then it would lead to another binge, which would lead to another restriction. It's just, it's never ending. And I think it's really important to identify it because like you said, it's so normalized. The language that we so flippantly use and you'll hear it on the radio is, oh, I had a binge earlier this afternoon, like you said. And actually, that's really not helpful because somebody could be really, really struggling, but think that it's that, that's their normal. Yeah, exactly. So that's where, you know, going to speak to your doctor uh, really is an important first step if you feel like this may be an issue for you. Um, and then, as I was saying, the next step is nutrition and psychological support. Um, so that there's different ways. I mean, the, the NICE guidelines, so our evidence-based guidelines in the UK, recommend self-guided help um, as one option or group or individual psychological support. And when you say self-guided help, do you want to just delve into what that would entail a little bit, if possible, for people listening? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so self-guided help, it can come in a few different forms. So sometimes it's um, GPs can actually kind of prescribe different books, so like CBT or around mindfulness or problem solving. Um, it could be in a group setting or it could be on a one-to-one -one basis as well, or basically um, it's it's kind of a set, um, a set program almost that includes elements of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, motivational interviewing, mindfulness. So different, it kind of combines different psychological aspects. Um, but it, the self-guided part is that, you know, the person is working through um, the different activities and reflections. So um, it can be really powerful because you know, it can really lead to self-discovery around eating and the emotions related to that. Of course, uh, it must be quite a relief for people to know that that option's there because sometimes I think people get scared of, of the word therapy because suddenly in their head, they're seeing commitment, they're seeing time, they're seeing constant trips away to see someone or whereas doing this at home themselves. I mean, of course, there's two camps here, people that will require actually in human interaction for help and others that are capable, am I right, of doing it themselves? Yeah, definitely. So different approaches do suit different people. And although the NICE guidelines specifically recommend cognitive behavioral therapy, which targets disordered eating, that is just one approach as well. So that's where, you know, if you are seeking that individual psychological support, um, that's where a qualified psychologist can, you know, talk through your issues with you and help to guide you in the best direction. Um, because everybody is so individual, you know, just the same as when it comes to nutrition, there isn't just one approach. You know, there's there's a different toolkit of approach basically that can be helpful. Um, but if you have that qualified person to help guide you through it, um, that's really important. I mean, I can't emphasize having the qualified voice enough. I, I think. Um... Even when I graduated with my nutrition degree, it wasn't enough. I had to go and do some more work in the psychology realm because I felt that something was missing from, from this. And I thought, I can't really, I didn't know the right language to use, how to help people engage in health behavior change. There's, there's so many aspects that are both physical and, and mental. And on that thread of thought, um, what are the health risks? If we're talking about binge eating, people think, yeah, it's no big deal, you know, okay, so I'm eating a bit more, I'm putting on a bit of weight here, 
what's the harm? But there are some serious ones, aren't there? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, so common health risk associated with binge eating disorder is, so obviously it's it's an eating disorder itself, or even if somebody doesn't quite meet that criteria, it's highly linked with mental health issues, so like depression and anxiety. And, and that cycle of binging and restricting is also closely linked with weight cycling, so losing weight and gaining weight frequently, um, and issues with sleep and stress. And, you know, a lot of these different factors can then contribute to a higher risk of certain diseases. Um, so diseases such as heart disease or stroke, diabetes. Um, and, you know, a lot of that can be related to when we're talking about stress, you know, changes in our cortisol levels mm-hmm. um, and the more and more evidence coming out about the impact of sleep. Um, so, so there isn't really kind of just one factor related to binge eating that increases these risks it's it's really a combination um but i think something important to mention here is that you know a lot of people who experience binge eating they already feel quite a lot of guilt and shame related to health risks um so it's not something that you know you should feel guilty for or you know this this, this isn't your fault or um i guess we don't want to put too much emphasis on on health risks, because what we need to do is really focus on how can that person best take care of themselves. And really, it's when we're taking care of ourselves as a side effect, then, you know, we get all these health benefits. And I find that's a helpful way of looking at it. Oh, completely. I think there's so much to be said for kindness and not only being kind to others, which is definitely something everybody needs to do, I think, on a, on a larger scale, especially on, on the online world as well now that that's a, that here to stay. But kindness to ourselves, Maeve, because if we actually wrote down what we tell ourselves every day, I think there was one study that found that um, people, 80%, they found more negative thoughts about themselves rather than the the small 20%, they actually told themselves something nice every day in their head. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. Awful. I mean, to give an example to listeners, um, it would be something like you wake up in the morning um, and straight away you'd be like, oh, I don't feel good today. Oh, I should have done X yesterday or I'll look in the mirror and, oh, no, this isn't a right look for today. I'll only be judged in X, Y, Z. And then before you know it, every decision you make all day kind of starts on this I should or I shouldn't have kind of a remit. And we keep questioning ourselves rather than being kind and saying, hey, you've got this today or just looking at yourself and thinking, I'm so lucky to be here today. Just little things like that that I don't think any of us are very good at doing. Yes, that's that's really fascinating to hear about that study. Um, and I guess it does reflect, you know, a lot of the experiences that I hear about. 
And and that self-compassion piece, as you're saying, it's just so key. It's so fundamental because, you know, that can be part of the reasons that binge eating occurs can be this negative self-talk, a lack of self-compassion. Um, so we really we do need to take a step back, really take care of ourselves and speak kindly to ourselves. And of course, it's easier said than done. I mean, I, I'm not perfect. We're, we're here discussing this as a conversation. I don't think Maeve and I are both saying, well, we know how to speak kindly to ourselves every day because it, it's... No. it's hard I mean we all have ups and downs and especially when when it comes to doing things like that because you mentioned stress you mentioned sleep all everything is interlinked isn't it Maeve like what type of job you have could impact how likely you are to develop binge eating disorder Mm -hmm. exactly um yeah no absolutely it's much easier said than done and it's you know, it's always a learning process. It's not that you'll do one thing and you'd be like, okay, that's it, nailed for the rest of my life. Um, it's it's this constant relationship in terms of self-compassion and self-discovery and just trying not to be too judgmental. And I think, you know, what that study you mentioned really highlights is the first step is really trying to tune into it, listen to it and identify that emotion. And that can be a really helpful exercise for people who are struggling with binge eating is First of all, identifying what the trigger is. So self-monitoring can be really helpful in terms of, um, you know, writing down, you know, what time you're eating and how stressed you're feeling and, um, you know, when a binge happened and then kind of putting the dots together to try and figure out, okay, what are the common triggers that are happening? And if it's an emotional trigger, really trying to be specific and identify that emotion Um So then we can start to learn, okay, well, what do I actually need? You know, what's the kindest thing to soothe myself in that moment? Oh, completely. I I think when you were saying that, it brought me back to when I was at uni, my dissertation. This is, I can't believe I'm bringing this up on the podcast, but it was on self-esteem and healthy food behaviors. So I I wanted to look at whether someone's self-esteem reflected the food choices that they made. And it was really interesting looking back at doing the research because it's actually really hard to quantify because how first of all you rate someone's self-esteem is is very difficult there are certain scales um out there but everything is so individual and I know a lot of people now my train of thought is going at a million miles an hour Maeve there's so many things I want to ask medication before I go on about self-esteem again because I'm going off on a tangent but what, what are your thoughts on medication with eating disorders yeah, so I my role when I'm supporting somebody who has an eating disorder, it isn't really you know around rec- well, it isn't around recommending medication. So it's really the doctor or the psychiatrist who recommends that. Um, but it is important to say that you know that can be a really useful part of treatment. Um, in terms of you know my experience of working with clients, it's very individual. Again, you know medications or certain medications don't suit everyone, and you know people sometimes it can take a little time to find out you know the type or the dose that works for them um so really you know it's something that we need to reduce the stigma around um, and again really important to follow the advice of your doctor or your psychiatrist yeah i mean stigma is a huge problem i think stigma is part of the reason that a lot of people don't seek treatment in the first place or adhere to it or believe that it that change is possible because people do not have to live with it forever and that just saddens me when I, I hear people that have never had access to the right help, Maeve, or the stigmas that have prevented them. Yes, absolutely. And it's it's really upsetting, as you're saying, that you know there, there are there's all these different support services out there. Um, but often that first step can be 
you know, recognizing that there is a problem and that you deserve support. Um, so, so yeah, I really encourage people that if they're struggling with this, if they're finding it distressing, even if you're not really sure, you know, even having that initial conversation, whether it be with a friend, a family member, with your GP, um, it's just really important not to, not to ignore these kind of issues if they're having a negative impact on your life. Yeah, completely. I think ignoring ignoring things that hurt us. Um, may, maybe it's um, this is not my area at all, but maybe it's it's a human survival mechanism that we have we've come to develop. You know, we black out harmful things, or we don't really want to spend time focusing on it because because it's just painful. And I'm I'm sure a lot of people would rather do that, but if they could just just reach out to maybe one person if someone's scared of going to their doctor maybe at least to speaking to a friend surely that's better than no one at all yeah that can be a really useful starting point because for some people they may have never spoken out loud about these issues mm-hmm. um and even even before that i mean journaling can be really helpful because you're you're processing your emotions you're getting it all out on paper um, and especially if you feel hesitant to speak to anybody that can be an important step um but definitely if there's someone in your life that you trust that you feel like you can speak to about this it can be a really important thing to do yeah you're not alone and if this is resonating with anybody listening to us discussing this right now I mean Maeve and I could, could tell you the, the amount of people that experience a difficult relationship with food is much much larger than you could possibly imagine I I would go as far as saying every single person has some sort of interesting relationship with food yeah I would agree Um, I think it's you know once we start delving into this and when we look at you know all of the unhelpful messages we're surrounded with on social media on the media and you know even just speaking to friends and family they can all they all have an impact over time so it might not seem like there's there's much going on on the surface or that it's much of, it's much of an issue but um i would agree that for the majority of people you know it's very common to have some element of a disordered relationship with food yeah and f- finding that balance you know, if you said before you know exercise can be a coping strategy to movement i mean what do you think about meditation yeah meditation um it can be really helpful because it's it can be a form of stress management and a way of helping to deal with some of those difficult emotions. So it is, it's kind of like that toolkit approach we were talking about, you know, for some people, meditation can be really helpful and not for everybody. It depends on their background and, um, you know, whether, you know, some people who've experienced significant trauma, sometimes meditation may not be helpful for them. Um, So it absolutely depends, but overall meditation and mindfulness in particular um, are both often used as part of a recovery strategy with binge eating. Of course. Now we have, well, we had a lot of questions on this subject from people. I think particularly because of the pandemic, the time we're recording this, more people than ever have reached out, Maeve. So I've got some questions from our listeners uh, for you. Um, and the first one is from Adam. And Adam has said, can sleep affect my eating patterns? Like, oh, he's, he's phrased it as, can sleep affect my eating patterns? Really? That much? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. There's more evidence coming out about this, um, that when we don't sleep well, or if we have, you know, a bad night's sleep, basically, um, that we're much hungrier the next day. And, you know, that makes sense, really, in terms of if, 
we don't feel like we have enough energy, you know, food as a source of energy. And um, so again, it's, you know, it's quite a clever response from our body to try and find that energy and to keep going. Um, but obviously, you know, what we need is to, to really try and focus on, on improving sleep for overall health. Um, and then, you know, that, that really helps just to keep things more regulated during the day and um, related to food intake, but in general. Um, Lilia has said, oh, this is one that would be really useful for people. Um, I'm worried my daughter might be binge eating. What can I do to help her? Now, there must be a lot of parents out there, um, Maeve, with this similar sort of question. Yes. So really important question. And, and it can be a really tricky one. Um, so really what we want is to open up that communication so that your daughter can speak to you or somebody else that she's close to, you know, taking that first step of seeking support that we were speaking about. Um, so, you know, sometimes it can really just be, you know, sitting down, having that honest discussion, um, obviously in a way that doesn't feel attacking or judgmental. Um, so, so it can be individual in, in the best way to do that. But also there's a lot that we can do within the family environment. So as we were saying, you know, not commenting on anyone's body, including our own. That's a very common one that, um, again, people might seem that, oh, it's, it's just a joke or, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. But um, kind of body shaming yourself in front of children um, or teenagers, um, you know, we really want to avoid that. Having that the neutral language around food. So we're not saying, okay, you know, this is our treat night and this food is good and this food is bad or, you know, commenting on what people are eating at the table. Um, so trying to get away from, from some of those things can just can make it a more kind of positive food environment within the house. Um, and then trying to, you know, to ask the question and to seek the support if necessary. Oh, that's a wonderful, wonderful answer there, Maeve, um, because I think... <laughs> What we say, you write about ourselves in front of others can, of course, impact others. And there is a page on the BEAT website as well for carers, I believe, which might also have some useful resources on there as well, Lilia. Um, yes. Oh, I know what you're going to say to this one, I think. Jules has said, what kind of detox is best? I would say no detox is best. <laughs> and, um, detox isn't really a thing. Um, so our body detoxes itself using our organs, so our skin, our liver, kidneys, gut, and our lungs as well. But there isn't a, a certain supplement or product that we can take that's going to detox the body, um, unless it's like a medical overdose and somebody has to, you know, medically detox. Um, but in terms of, you know, all of the diet products that we see that relate to detox, it's a total myth. Perfect. Perfectly answered. And Sienna <laughs> said, um, oh, this is again another common one. I'm on the waiting list for an eating disorder um, support. Uh, what do I do in the meantime? That's really difficult. Um, I mean, services are really struggling. Um, the BEAT website that you mentioned is really helpful. Um, so the BEAT Eating Disorders and the UK charity. Um, and there are... I believe they have a support group as well, um, mm. because especially related to the pandemic, there are some extra supports that have opened up. Yeah. Um, some people seek support um, from maybe a private dietitian or a private psychologist, but you know that will obviously depend on financial situation. Um, you know, keeping in touch with your GP as well. So although you know they've referred you for further support, it's still really important to 
um, you know, to, to touch base and to let them know how you're doing. Um, and then I guess some of the activities that we spoke about as well in terms of, um, you know, journaling and speaking to loved ones. Um, there's a really good resource as well, actually, from uh, Break Binge Eating. So mm-hmm. it's Dr. Jake Lenarden. Um, he's a binge eating researcher and psychologist, and he actually has a free ebook. Um, and it has it's like five steps for tackling binge eating, um, and it's fantastic. It goes through lots of really practical tips and lots of exercises. Um, so that could be a really useful place to start as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, gosh, we're running out of time. So I would like to move on to our fact or fiction round, Maeve. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Um, and just to be aware, um, just to let you know, nearly nobody has answered this quite straight down the line. I'm very aware of who answers, but let, let's see what comes up. Um, yeah, I'll struggle with this, I think, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> um, binge eating can be controlled by willpower. Fiction. Eating disorders affect both men and women. Fact. Dieting will stop you from binge eating. Fiction, absolutely fiction. All binge eaters are obese. Fiction. The more overweight you are as a child, the more likely you are as an adult. Oh, interesting one. Mm. Um, I feel like that one might be down the middle because of the the impact of diet culture and um, you know, being more likely to be put on a diet as a child. Um, but I haven't actually seen any figures on it. So let's yeah. go fact. Yeah, interesting. I agree. Um, having one cheat meal a week is a healthy habit. Fiction. The the whole language around cheat meal. Um, you know, I, I definitely encourage flexibility. Um, but thinking that you know you're only allowed to have certain foods once a week definitely wouldn't be helpful. Mm. Um, weight loss surgery can cure binge eating disorder. Oh, another interesting one. <laughs> I would say fiction. Do you want to delve into that a tiny bit? Yeah, that, that's a definitely an interesting topic. Um, so, so weight loss surgery, so bariatric surgery, um, it's 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 one approach for weight management, um, and you know some people find it really useful, and there's there's evidence related to improvements in diabetes particularly, um, but the the issue is it's you know it's changing the amount of food that you can eat, um, but the surgery in itself may not well it won't be addressing the psychological issues um, and a lot of the other contributing factors for binge eating and um, so luckily before somebody undergoes surgery for like bariatric surgery um it's it's essential that they get psychological support um, so hopefully there won't be too many people that are in that situation where they've had the surgery um but the the binge eating compulsions are still a big problem um but the surgery in itself doesn't actually, um, you know, cure binge eating. It's it's the it's the multidisciplinary support and the psychological support and the nutrition support, which is really key. I thought it was very important that you delved into that, just because I know a lot of people would have asked. Um, so we have the next question, which is: Weighing yourself daily is helpful to track your weight? Oh, fiction! That's a really unhelpful um, unhelpful habit if you have binge eating disorder or binge eating in general really need to move away from tracking and from monitoring weight. Couldn't agree more. Stress is the biggest cause of binge eating. 
Oh, I think I would say it's it's a big one, all right, but I don't know if it would be the biggest. Um, so I'd probably say fiction overall. A low carb diet is the best way to manage your weight. Oh, fiction. Uh, that's what I'm very passionate about. Um, so, you know, carbs are so important. It's the main energy source for our brain, for our body. Um, and a lot of the time when I'm working with clients who are having issues of binge eating, then, you know, they're often heavily restricting carbohydrates. And again, that that physical hunger, that need for some people is a trigger for binging. Um, so definitely not. That was an excellent fact or fiction round. <laughs> <laughs> thank you I know I went down the middle for a few <laughs> it's it's important though do you know we actually had to do a whole episode alone on carbohydrates because I did feel it was so needed um right so that does nearly wrap up the episode Maeve but we do finish um every single one with a food for thought and I'm going to start today by saying that there is a fine line between I guess, thinking carefully about what you put into your body, which of course is important, but also obsessing over it as well, because to regain a healthy relationship with food, you really do need, like we said earlier, the moderation approach. You need to also look at the other underlying issues. It's psychology and nutrition. And I quite like the um, step, which I actually put in my book, Renourish, of the food and mood diary, which for so many people I've found has been so beneficial, learning more about why you see the world the way you do and what behaviors you engage in as a person that that's kind of a pretty good first step to reclaiming your own health and your own outlook on on life because it just doesn't have to be like be that way you don't have to live with an unhealthy relationship with food for the rest of your life and if you want to leave our listeners Maeve with a food for thought today what would that be oh no I really like that one um so I guess I would think about asking yourself, so does my eating regularly feel uncontrolled or distressing? So as I said, more than 75% of people who are having issues with disordered eating won't seek support. So it's really important to reach out if you're struggling. And because really, you know, what I see when I'm working with clients is when you can get to a place where food complements your life instead of dominating your life in a negative way, and you've just so much more freedom in your life and you know it really it impacts on you know emotional state and socializing and so much um, and that's something i talk about in my new book as well it's it's really it's that flexible approach and it's it's eating as a form of self care so so really you know you're focusing on encouraging that overall health and happiness Maeve, I'm so excited to read your new book, to get this episode out to everybody. Thank you so much. Where can everybody go to find out more about what you do and to seek some support? Thank you so much for having me on. Um, so I am Dietetically Speaking on uh, my website is www.dietheticallyspeaking.com and on Instagram and Facebook, it's at Dietetically Speaking. And I've been talking about my new book all over my website and social media. Um, and you can also find it on Amazon. It's called Your No-Nonsense Guide to Eating Well. Perfect. Maeve, thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. Thank you. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do, if you have the time, leave a five-star review. It does help this podcast get out there. We want to be able to reach more people, help more people, and maybe even perhaps reach higher highs in the charts. For more information about my Retrition Clinic books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com. And you can always follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.